Welcome. Brief intro. Thanks for listening to Netflix and Chill, then Blockbuster and Bust by Dylan Rankin. Started writing this when we first went into lockdown and just kept adding to it throughout. Just rode the wave until the level of comedy stew was almost at shoulder height. Hope you enjoy wading into it. Cheers. I know of only one way to heave my existence out of a wallowing pit of despair, and that's with a classic binge. The original binge. The uncontrolled and excessive consumption. The shameful, secret binges that take place with the curtains drawn as you melt into the couch with your takeaway and Netflix. Conjoining into one single entity. The most stationary and pointless transformer in existence. Sluggatron. Nay skills. Zero earth-defending talent. Team all wheeze, ingesting carbs for days. Shielding your organs in podge. That's what a high-caliber binge will do to you. Turn you into a horizontal digester. Forcing you to brutally exfoliate yourself in the shower the next morning because you know your filth. You'll be overlathered with droplets raining onto your toes from your swinging gut, reminiscing, not over a childhood sweetheart, but over the plot to a Netflix show you just watched last night. Netflix movie after movie, show after show, your skeleton, immobile. But your innards are dancing, dancing with the cheese fats and chocolate sugars in a timeless ballet of wonder within the gizzards. This was paradise. Binging was the childhood fantasy of many a kid in the 90s, which was a time of mild physical inconvenience. But unlike today, at least your brain wasn't bombarded with so much data, it feels like someone scalped you in your sleep and replaced your grey matter with a moistureless, half-stabbed pumpkin. You couldn't even store the amount of data that's beamed from your phone onto an old 90s desktop computer. You'd be changing so many floppy disks, you'd be getting repetitive strain injury on your other wrist as well, you dirty bastard. Ultimately, if you end the modern day without feeling like your melon's a hollowed out husk of corrupted zeros and ones, that's a luxurious occurrence that's befallen you. Let's face it, we're at a stage now where we're getting tubs of ice cream chauffeured to our homes by strangers. That's as fucked as it gets, folks. You no longer have to awkwardly interact with a stranger when ordering a takeaway. That was fun. No longer do you need to shout butter me and list your entire banquet of food items down the phone to a restaurant owner's niece, let alone drive to the actual restaurant and join the queue in your mildly soiled pyjamas. We're clearly in prime bingeville, right here, right now. Even before we were all locked in the garden shed by your old mate Rona. Who wouldn't want to binge, you know? And with Netflix, everybody is basically like a 90s school kid whose family home is situated above their parents' business. And their business is blockbuster video. So don't feel bad about binging Netflix. How much time would you spend binge-watching movies if fucking blockbuster was downstairs? Who wouldn't want to Netflix and chill? Who wouldn't want to binge-watch horror movies and try and shag their house guests? So much selection on Netflix too. Even if you're just trying to Netflix and chill. It's hard. It's hard to pick the next show when your erection's subsiding. Too much choice. The term Netflix and chill was all the rage, wasn't it? 
It was teenagers and young adults saying it at first to describe their upcoming rendezvous with a snapped banjo string and internal bruising via the curse of congenital cardio. Young folk don't say it anymore. Now, Netflix and chill is being used by the parents of eight-year-olds while driving them home after an Easter egg hunt. We'll get you in the shower then we can Netflix and chill with your gran before bed. I will say though that when the Easter Bunny comes slinging that chalk cock, parents are walking on a mountain of eggshells, eight hours straight of potential vomit. So any form of entertainment, anything to avert their kids' attention away from puking on the drive home, though they're dreading the out-of-nowhere spew coating the back of their neck with a thick spray of regurgitated cake batter and milk chocolate stomach acid, like a yakel advert played in reverse. Not the good bacteria, no. Parents of teenagers also don't want to hear their teenage daughter or teenage son saying they're off to Netflix and chill. If you're a young dude, don't tell your mammy that you're going to do that at your bae's house when she's driving you over there. Because at the traffic lights, your own mother is throwing a gazelle hook to those young plums like a prime Mike Tyson ensuring that there will be zero chill and 100% Netflix taking place. Your ma has already had a pregnancy scare, which was you. She does not want you to relive the same trauma with Bay, so cut her some slack. You're growing up so fast and she's proud of you. She probably just misses those trips to Blockbuster Video with you back in the day. Strolling the aisles, bonding as parent and child gutted now that she felt too self-conscious at the time to walk up to the counter and rent out five serial killer documentaries along with your single copy of The Jungle Book. Thinking about it, I don't think serial killer documentaries were as popular back then in the blockbuster era. Maybe they just didn't make as many. I can't recall a time in the shop when someone got teary-eyed because all the copies of Ted Bundy The College Years had been hoovered up. By the way, I watched the Ted Bundy documentary on Netflix and they kept going on and on about how attractive Ted Bundy was. I mean, for the time, I guess. But not for today's palette. We're post-Brad Pitt in the Hemsworth and Jason Momoa era out here. For the 70s? Uh, I mean, maybe Ted Bundy was hot. But standards have changed dramatically from the Bay City Rollers. Back in the 70s, people were swooning over Tom Jones and Rod Stewart. Talented, undoubtedly. But you wouldn't want their beads of sweat dripping onto your forehead, would you? Even in their prime. I feel mildly nostalgic about Blockbuster. But was Blockbuster's fall a sad story? I recall the fall of the independent video stores because of Blockbuster. What unique experiences those used to be. You go and stay over at your cousin's and visit their local video store that was always owned and run by a Quentin Tarantino doppelganger with an encyclopedic knowledge of B-movie sci-fi horrors with the best practical effects. No one there was asking you for ID to prove you're over 18. Wanna watch Robocop at the ripe old age of 8 years old? No problem, bang it on. Ever eaten an out-of-date snicker bar? Grab one from the display. Loved an independent video store. Almost as a signpost of quality, the video shop would be filled with the odour emanating from the shop's undersized waste paper basket by the entry, overflowing with 19 crushed Foster's beer cans and the contents of an emptied ashtray, coating the remnants of a chicken pakora like the landscape of Pompeii. I mean, 
The owner slept right there on the shop floor last night with his death metal bandmates during a horror movie marathon. You can smell it. You can taste it in the air. Their oils have left a sheen on the video cassettes and DVD covers. And like a cruel twist of fate, just when you've fallen in love with the oddity of the place, this independent business, the shop owner ends up getting the place shut down within the first three years of trade for renting out porn magazines to groups of 16-year-old lads, literally wankers, in a vain 1990s side hustle. I say side hustle because nothing was entrepreneurial at the time. That word never touched the streets, entrepreneurial. Everything was just a side hustle for that week's booze money. Whoa! In a way, it's went full circle. Blockbuster, who would have crippled so many independent video stores, now lives out its senior years as a nostalgic independent video store in Bend, Oregon in the States. Nostalgia can be extremely therapeutic when you just need a bloody pick-me-up. It can hark back to a less complicated time with a predictable outcome, and that's comforting for the old brain matter. For example, I binge-watched all the Fast and the Furious movies before they expired on Netflix, harking back to a time when all problems could be solved simply by dropping it down a gear in a white vest. Nostalgia is certainly more comforting than staring into the abyss. And while all this was happening, Netflix was waiting in the wings, plotting, strategizing world domination. Is it a coincidence that Netflix was founded in the same year as the first cloned animal, Dolly the Sheep, which was created in Scotland in 1997? Which begs the question, what's going on with cloning nowadays? Netflix is balling right now, just swaying their nuts back and forth in front of their competitors, but you don't hear anything about cloning in the news. Obviously, it's still continuing behind closed doors, and that's when things progress rapidly. By now, they're bound to have cloned a hit squadron of genital-free assassins with deadly skills, eager throats and no moral compass. We're out here worrying about aliens, when they're already on their seventh generation of scorpion mice children assassins. They're seventh generation, like an Intel Core processor. They're making little improvements here and there with each generation. A sharper stinger and quicker spindle legs for chasing you through the barren hallways of a secret laboratory three miles below sea level. Once these assassins hit maturity, they're charged with seducing diplomats and politicians before puncturing their arteries with their scorpion tail fingernails. We know how easy it is to gain access to the highest levels of government. Just look at the movie Borat 2. That movie showed how easy it is to get direct access to Donald Trump's lawyer Rudy Giuliani, just by an attractive young woman not vomiting when alone in his presence, which is what he recognises as an offer of intercourse. Just think, if that woman was one of these cloned genital-free assassins, undoubtedly she could easily pierce one of Rudy Giuliani's veins with her scorpion stinger fingers and he would be dead in seconds. Well, maybe minutes by the time she found a visible functioning vein in the pebble of a penis he attempted to pull out. It may have in fact been Netflix that I watched Borat 2 on. It wouldn't surprise me. So many options on Netflix, so many series. You get so many recommendations from friends, many of them quality shows that are the polar opposite to your taste. Someone recommended The Crown to me. The Trials and Tribulations of the Monarchy. 
I don't watch The Crown for the same reason I don't throw my phone into the toilet bowl with an Instagram filter on. I don't want to glamorise arseholes. I bet it's horrific turning up places only to be treated as royalty, launching your bomb-proof Land Rover into plebeians with no fear of prosecution for example. Even the twat you ran over, they probably army roll out from under your back tyre and curtsy, the queen fucked moron. Anyway, I've heard that The Crown is a fantastic, engaging, dramatic show, and I'm sure the stakes get pretty high when some cunt doesn't fold your napkin right. But at least it's not a cash grab reboot 15 years after the original show ran for 7 seasons, which seems to be the new thing. I may be wrong, but you can usually cover a lot of ground in 7 seasons. By then, surely all the characters have got a DUI, been in tears, shocked, outraged and fucked by that time. Plus, it's a big ask to start watching a show that's had 7 seasons. You have to have been seriously injured, bedridden in order to take up the reins. I'm talking femur damage, a dual pipe prolapse, open heart surgery, then your guilt free slugging. Weeks on end, binge watching episodes, snacks for days, oh look, gluttony has entered the chat, Sluggatron is back, tilt the trough towards me, the binge prevails.